Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Subscher. Hi, Stacey. Hi, John. It's really good to hear your voice this morning. I think we were all a little worried that you might be, you know, uh, heading out and away from home this morning, but um, we are happy to hear that you are here and we're going to be doing the radio show this morning, even though I know you're in some perilous conditions there in California. Um, how are you doing and, and what are your guys' plans over the next couple of weeks um, as the fires continue to rage in California? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting time. And, you know, if you ever wanted to tell a story about global warming, this is probably it. So I don't think that most people understand what California is actually like. California is California is as big as from New York City to Florida. Um, and, and, and it's four hours wide going all the way down that. So um, the, the top part of the state where I live is mostly mountains and forest. After you pass San Francisco headed north, it's another 10 hours drive to the Oregon border. And that entire area is big, tall mountains and old, primeval, virgin forests. And it goes on and on and on. And there are only a couple of little towns between here and the Oregon border. So it's as if you could drive from New York City to uh, North Carolina, say, and not hit any towns. Um, So when the fires come, they come. And this week, um, we had, last week sometime, we had lightning storms. And and one of the interesting things about California is it doesn't get thunder and lightning in the north because there are no fronts to collide. All the weather comes in from the ocean and blows east. But we had a 10-hour lightning storm set off fires all over the place. There's so many fires burning right now that nobody can actually really count them very well, let alone attend to them. And the fire that that I'm concerned about is burning about five miles from my house, and it's gone to about thirty or thirty-five thousand acres over the course of the night. The sky is, is the sky as I was in in New Delhi some years back. The sky is like New Delhi. The air is unbreathable, and um, they're trying to figure out how to evacuate people, but. It's COVID, so there's nowhere to go, right? So, so you've got people who need to get out, but there's nowhere for them to go. Um, and we're lucky, you know, we're lucky we have um, um, some financial flexibility. And so we're going to leave sometime today and go over the hill to Calistoga, which is hardly a hardship. Calistoga is the spa part of Napa Valley. And uh, we're going to go there and meet uh, my wife's son, Holden, who is off to college next week. And we want to spend some time with him before he goes off to college. He lives in a town called St. Helena and St. Helena is surrounded by fire. So we're evacuating from here to a place that's a little less scary um, for a couple of days, and then I imagine we'll be headed way north 
next week. Yeah. So we're doing okay. We're doing okay. This is the second yeah. time in 10 months. And so it's a little stale. <laughs> it's a little yeah. stale. <laughs> Understatement of the year, but yeah. <laughs> so that's, the st- that's what's happening in Lake Wilbegon, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it, well, I think we're all glad to hear that you guys have plans and understandably, you know, it's always, um, it, it, even when you sort of are prepared and, and even when you have figured out sort of what the next steps are, um, environments like that, living in sort of the hurricane zone here, right? You know, it's just that sort of eeriness of kind of waiting to to, to start sort of the next steps of the evacuation that gets very kind of um hard to sort of put your finger on, but it's, it's, it's an, a very uncomfortable feeling, right? Cause, cause you're not sure what you should take, what you shouldn't, how, you know, whether when you come back, there will be something still standing. You're assuming you're hoping, you know, all the best luck, right? But yeah, it's, it's a really tough time, no matter who you are and what your, your opportunities are, but we are glad to hear you guys are going to um, be leaving this afternoon that you'll be in a somewhat more safe environment. Glad to hear that you'll be connecting with your son, but um, yeah, it's, like you said, this is not, um, we, we're just seeing more of this and, and 2020 just continues, I think, to add to what has been a very crazy year and a half for, for many people, um, and all around the globe. So, oh, well, we'll, we'll keep watching. I think everyone's watching on Twitter to make sure you guys are, are safe and sound. But, you know, the other thing you mentioned is your son going back to school and, that has been, I think, the other thing that's been occupying the time of almost everybody that I've been talking to. If you have children or if you have grandchildren or you have nieces and nephews, um, you know, I, I took my son to school several weeks ago, and now North Carolina is shutting down every college campus because students are sort of proving themselves to be unable to students. stay away from parties. Yeah, yeah they're proving <laughs> themselves to be young people. Being young, Exactly. <laughs> As we expected, uh, but you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I I am a not much of a fan of this theory that what it means to be educated is that you go to college and behave like a monk. It's kind of an unreasonable yeah. approach. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's where the rest of the country is at and watching carefully what's happening there in California and in Colorado, as we had mentioned, that there's two places right now and many more because of what's going on. So, yeah, it's just a a surreal time, just as it has been for the last several months dealing with COVID, to be sort of talking about things like HR technology and business and strategy, right? But it's, we still have to keep going, right? So, so. Uh, what a week to be to be having the conversations. Um, are you, as you're sort of dealing with all of this, has work sort of continued on for you? Do, do you have to continue to sort of do the things you normally do when you're when you're dealing with evacuation plans? That's always you know the conversation here around Hurricane you know week. You know, is is can you keep working while you're sort of making plans to evacuate for hurricanes? Right. Yeah, I'm having too much fun working to stop. <laughs> so, so so this is just this is I remembered like like last night I got out the suitcase and and it was like seeing an old friend. Uh, it's been it's been <laughs> six months since I saw yes. my suitcase and um it used to be every other week, you know, it was it was go out, do the road, come back, do the laundry, go out, do the road and I'd been doing that for a long, long time. <laughs> 
and I forgot a whole bunch of little things. And so it's been good to see my old friend, the suitcase. Um, and it didn't get any worse for the wear by sitting in the closet for six months. Um, yeah. You know, so, so, so I know how to work from the road. Right? I've always worked from the road. And so it'll yeah. just be a different kind of road. We got a lot of great stuff done. The last time we evacuated, we set up shop in an apartment and went to work. And we got a lot of great work done in that week. And so I imagine it'll be just like that this time. Heather and I work. And, and so we'll work in these circumstances too. And, and for those of us who, who work tends to be our way of sort of dealing with everything else going on around us, it's, it's sometimes it's a great way to sort of just kind of move on past the anxiety and all the other things going on. It could be. Are you calling me a workaholic? Are you calling right there? You just called me a workaholic. I heard you. I heard you. Just a little, John. You know, it takes women to one. (laughs) (laughs) My children would definitely advocate that that's the issue, right? There's a mix of workaholic with procrastinator. You put those two together, it becomes a really interesting mix, right? Right. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Chicago's lots of light side. <laughs> well, the country seems to be dealing with this a little bit too. I mean, we actually do have stuff to talk about this week. It's, it's not, you know, I think a lot of the common things that we've been talking about, but um, there is a uh, some data in the uh, market this week about the U.S. productivity rising a 7.3 percent, the biggest increase since 2009. I think that's the conversation we definitely want to get in today. But there's also stuff going on in the tech space that kind of requires some conversation. Oracle is in talks to acquire TikTok, um, challenging Microsoft. That sort of blows out of the water the sort of business-to-business versus business-to-consumer conversations that have sort of always been placed for Oracle. Um, Workday and IBM are partnering now um, for a solution to aid workplace reopening, a little bit connected also with what Workday has been doing with Salesforce. So Workday definitely is becoming a more friendly partner, I think, in a lot of the spaces. Uh, Salesforce launched a new feedback management solution, kind of combining that business-to-business, business-to-employee conversation we've been having for quite some time. Um, EdCast announced that in conjunction with talent management partners, it's launched a new integrated career path and internal mobility solution. Um, that's a direct competition, I think, to what we're seeing on the um, uh, uh, degreed um, side of things that EdCast competes with. Uh, and then we do have some funding going on this week still, even though the world feels like it's in chaos. Um, Hello Team, which is an employee engagement and conversation tool, um, landed $3.5 million um, in the funding this week. And a couple of interesting lawsuits have been going on. Victory um, for the campaigners in face recognition cases um, Face recognition is a big conversation for HR. Do we do it? Do we not do it? What does it look like? Um, and, and can we do it um, with regulations that are coming down? That was out of the UK. And then Google is taking another stab at um, creating their own um, business card, LinkedIn type of connections, starting with India this time with something they're calling visiting cards. Um, so as crazy as the world seems, John, there's also a lot of work going on still. What do you think about this productivity conversation? Is this? You know, I, I, I remember, I remember when the government would issue a report and have a number in it and I'd go, Oh, that's the number. And now when the government issues a report, I go, 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so yeah. you know, so this says U.S. productivity rose by 7.3%. Now, that seems like the most unlikely thing I have ever heard. Because nobody's doing work the same way. Everybody's on a learning curve. Um, so if the measure of productivity is actual work getting done, this is nonsense. This is complete nonsense. Um, now, if it's some other measure, like, like a lot of people are spending their budgets early, so if productivity is measured as revenue, um, then it's been a good quarter. Lots of people have been doing well this quarter. It's not been a complete disaster. But but the idea that the country is almost 10% more productive in the middle of this, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't again, know. Yeah, so- the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics definition for productivity is measured by comparing the amount of goods and services produced with the inputs which were used in production. Um, labor productivity is the ratio of the output of goods and services to the labor hours devoted to the production of that output. So basically, my understanding is I think people are moving faster, getting more out per hour. That's what they're basically saying, goods and services. Um, the other piece of this, and we saw this in the 2008-2009 downturn, I can remember a lot of documentation showing how U.S. productivity kept rising and rising, even through some of, of what was going on in the, the recessions and the last downturn. And when you dug into a lot of it, there was some automation that was being put in place there, right? So people were automating a lot more as they were laying off people. They were figuring out ways to automate that work. In a lot of cases, they were also requiring more from the people who stayed on in their work jobs. So you were seeing a lot of burnout happening and a lot of that kind of conversation happening um, about 2010, which was just after that 2009 last rise. Um, so I don't know if any of that plays into this as well. But, yeah, it's one of those numbers you kind of raise your eyebrows. Oh, like, hmm, okay. oh, 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 I get it. I get it. Um, if you do the same amount of revenue, but you've laid off, a third of your workforce, you've just had a 33% productivity increase. Exactly. That's, what you, that's yeah. what you just said. So, so the other title for this might be layoffs in full swing. <laughs> I, I don't know enough about how they get their actual calculations to know, but that was, I can remember those conversations coming out of the, the, the last recession because there was a huge uptick in productivity then and 2009, we were not in, in, you know, bringing people back. That was the last most, you know, big jump. And it was because people had been laid off in huge amounts in 2007 and 2008. And 2009, money was being made, but we hadn't hired anybody back, right, at that point in time. Yeah, okay. Okay, so this is yeah. a nonsense statistic. Great! <laughs> it's, it's, not an, it's actually not a nonsense statistic, it's actually a really bad statistic if you're an employee working inside of a company that has laid off a lot of people because the amount of effort that you're investing also is expected to be increased, right? This is where we start to see the conversations about how many hours 
can you invest? I have a feeling that, that we're going to start to see the burnout conversations in the next several years on top of all of this, right? Uh-huh. They don't hire people makes, back. So. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, Oracle is competing to buy TikTok. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this, John. What, what's your thoughts on this? Do, do we want to be doing TikTok with Oracle? I, I don't know. <laughs> Of all of the companies in the world that might open a consumer franchise, this would be of all the big companies that big B two B companies that might open a consumer franchise. This would be least likely to succeed, and so, <laughs> so, so this is this starts to look like a battle of the billionaires to see who gets the new shiny toy. Yeah. And, and, and the scarier thing is, do you trust Oracle with your commercial personal data any more than, because the whole reason for TikTok having to sell is because um, in the conversation, there's been concerns about the Chinese government having access to all the data that's coming in through TikTok, right? So that, that's part of this push and pull to sell, correct? Um. I can't tell. I can't tell. It's so mixed up with crazy politics. I can't imagine that TikTok would be for sale if it wasn't for the fact that um, a group of kids used TikTok to organize a major embarrassment for Trump. That's why it's for sale, because Trump is insisting that it be sold. Um, And so... So it's not for sale for a market reason. It's for sale for a political reason. And um, who knows? I mean, you, you know, Trump came out and asked for a finder's fee for this because he, he put it in play with his rhetoric. And so, so maybe Oracle is willing to pay a higher finder's fee. Yeah. I, I don't uh, even know where to go with that, but I get what you're saying. So... But hey, you know, it, TikTok seems to be serious about it, and so does Oracle. So we might very well see Oracle TikTok videos at the next Oracle uh, conference. Interesting. Could liven things up a little bit, right? Well, well, that would that, that might liven up Oracle for a year, but it sure kill TikTok. <laughs> um. <laughs> I guess, I guess, you, you, you know, you, you may be buying a teenager a Lamborghini, but you can be pretty sure that he's going to wreck it. Um, <laughs> and it's like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely not a not a not a good week to to get out our sort of uh, what the hell are you doing inside right now, right? More money than brains. That's what what comes to mind exactly. is more money than brains. Yes, uh, definitely. More money of brains on this one. But, I mean, there. I, I will have to say a little bit more of a serious note here. I mean, Oracle has been investing in their sales tools, and they have been investing in the um, focus on artificial intelligence uh, from, a, from a consumer perspective, buying trends, that kind of thing. So they've been sort of, sort of doing that. I can see where they can make a case for how this would add to that conversation. I think the the harder part for me is is you know not only taking them seriously around a consumer component, but 
also is, you know, how do you use all that data, right, and the regulations around it? And there are some real good questions that are being asked about what TikTok's doing with their data because so many kids are using it and there's so much information being passed through it. And I think those questions should be asked no matter who buys it, but there is a concern that if it's being bought um, by Oracle, are they going to hold up the same standards as some of the other organizations? And, and I think that's something that we should all hold them accountable for if they do purchase it. But that's on a more serious note there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we should have a long, long conversation at one point about the concentration of power in the hands of a few Silicon Valley companies. Yeah. It's... Um, you know, this might be, you could frame this as a survival move by Oracle because everybody else of Oracle size has a source of consumer data. Yeah. And Oracle simply doesn't have a source of consumer data. So, so you could say that they understand better than most that their real competitors are Facebook, Google, and Apple. And those three, and Microsoft, and those four all have robust consumer data components. Yeah, um, and and Oracle doesn't. Oracle doesn't, and you know, in that particular little billionaires club, gosh, if you don't if you don't have a hundred foot yacht, you need to get one. And so this is their hundred foot yacht. Yeah, the data source of the year, right? Like, where do you get the most data? It's it's similar to you know early day conversations about. You know, who has the biggest network? Where do you get oil from? You know, anytime we talk about resource, and right now data is a resource, um, you've got to figure out where you get it from. And consumer data is the biggest resource, right? And um, that's, that's definitely, I think, worth the conversation. Now, on the flip side, companies that are sort of dealing with work-to-work or business-to-business are continuing to sort of focus on the back-to-work conversation reopening. Um now, IBM has been sort of an interesting game, player in this because they don't have a consumer data source. They had probably one of the most um, extensively invested in artificial intelligence tools in the Watson platform. Do you think that sort of is, is – are we creating an environment where you either have a direct connection to consumers or you're business-to-business business and so you become like a workday in IBM and all those groups have to – and Salesforce of those groups have to sort of connect to each other now? I, I don't know that I'd describe it that way, but that doesn't sound new to me. There have always been consumer businesses and, and business-to-business businesses, and it's only been a few of those who have actually been able to pull off both having a business-facing operation and a consumer-facing operation. The two worlds are so different that it's really hard to make sense out of the decisions. You make them differently in one setting versus another. And if you treat consumers as if they were business clients, they go away. <laughs> they go away. The, the, quality of, the quality of the business to business product is different than the quality of the consumer product. Because of scale reasons, you can't afford to to finesse the design and development of B2B products in the way that you can consumer products because you don't have billions of people plugged into your social network. You've got 
millions, and you can't amortize the cost of design across millions. You have to have a bigger pool. Well, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, we're definitely seeing more, um, I guess, investment in sort of the B2B space in, in sort of treating employees, treating their partners as a consumer like not quite getting there. Like you said, you can't invest that much. It's just not possible. But you're doing your best to get there, right, which is definitely integrating more data sets, having better user interfaces. In this particular you know, uh, space, we're seeing Workday and IBM roll out a workplace reopening solution that includes, you know, modeling the site, some of the stuff we talked about in the last couple of um, radio shows, um, assessing the risk in the community, you know, managing supplies for things like personal protection, um, uh, publishing site readiness reports, those type of things, all the things that are necessary to make me as an employee feel comfortable about maybe going back to work, but still a business-focused conversation, right, and a risk-focused conversation. Yeah, just to bring it back to the, the last little thread, when a B2B company thinks about employees as consumers it's a metaphor and they never deliver a consumer quality experience and it's never really about treating employees as as if they were customers because they're not right the the next time you have a customer who you can fire and it hurts them in the wallet because you fired them is the very next time that employees will be consumers (laughs) you know they're not. They're not. They're your employee, and they have to take whatever you give them in some ways, particularly when there's high unemployment. And so this metaphor that that employees should be treated as if they were customers breaks down in the execution. It's great marketing talk, but it's really, really, really difficult to do. And all the technology in the world isn't going to make – you feel comfortable about going back to a place where you can get sick and die. It's a good band-aid. It's a good thing to do. You need to have it. But the problem isn't the technology. The problem is your level of trust with the people that you work for. Yeah. And I'll push back a little bit. I get what you're saying, and I completely agree. I mean, we just made the case that, you know, that the tools are more business-focused. I will say that I do think there are some companies you know, the idea of talent management was very much a pseudo conversation about talent right back in the day. But I, I do think that as employees and as people sort of come into their own about what their skill sets are and what their capabilities are, and we get a level of talent that is really in demand in certain areas, there is some level of how do I keep them? What are the things I need to do to make sure that they feel comfortable? Um, but that is in an environment where there is jobs and where there are opportunities. So as there are less opportunities, that kind of conversation goes away, right? Um, But I do think that we've seen some of that in the market. And I do think that some of the employee levels have been demanding that, which has shifted the business-to-business products in a different direction. Not totally there by any means. But I – Yeah, you know, I have have some trouble with that picture because – you, you paint a picture of people who go to work and do stuff all day and don't know what skills they have. And that's just weird. Of course they know what skills they have. They know what they do every day. They do it. What they don't have is 
a way of describing those skills to somebody who doesn't work in the same company. Right. So there's a language problem. Um, And what people have been trying to do, there's a whole lot of money being thrown around in a whole lot of different places to do things like career pathing by trying to translate what people think they do into what employers think they need. And it's voodoo, you know, mostly um, because employers don't do that good a job at thinking about what they need. And employees shouldn't be um, concerned about how to describe the way that you write this particular report to the next employer until it's time to talk to them. And so, so, but, but, but the employees know what they do. They know what their skills are. That's, that's, that's not really a question. It's, it's more the case that the companies can't really effectively articulate what they're going to need because things are changing quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that much I think we can agree on that things are changing so rapidly, knowing what you need and, and making the business case for what you have and how that will fit someone's need. Those two worlds are definitely not synced up. I think Ed Cass would feel a little sad about you saying that it's voodoo right now. I mean, they've just invested. It sounds like, a pretty chunk of, of, of sort of money and partnerships in their new career pathing and internal mobility solution. But we're seeing almost all of the, what you would consider um, education or content-based tools or the learning experience platforms, depending on what you're calling them, right, now investing in this career mobility conversation. Um, and I think a lot for the same reason you just mentioned, right? You can't have content and training and education and management of that kind of information experience without connecting it to something that is inside of a company, right? Yeah, but, you know, so so name a company that doesn't have a career mobility offering at this point. There's 40 of them, you, you know, yeah. and none of them can solve this problem. When sales start to hit a hiccup, you fire the sales manager and you switch sales techniques. And so anybody who's done a career plan inside of the company based on the current sales technique is in trouble because the new sales technique works differently and requires different skills and different kinds of people. And so a lot of corporate churn happens in departments where the technology shifts fairly regularly. And I have never, ever, ever seen in all of the demos that I've been through a tool that helps predict the likelihood that the skills you learn are actually going to be needed by the company. Right? And so it's not really career pathing. It's the weaving together of data that says, you know what, if things were like they were in 2019, here's what your next move would be. Right, it's all rooted in historical, historical data, um, and the historical data is all bad. So, <laughs> so, so, voodoo. I think I stick with voodoo. And you, stick with you know okay. what? You know what? Voodoo spent voodoo priests spent a lot of money on oils and herbs and um, chicken heads and you know all that stuff. Um, <laughs> so, so the fact that it's being invested in doesn't mean it isn't voodoo. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, John, (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, we have gone through our half hour and had, I think, an interesting conversation. Up until you mentioned chicken heads, I was kind of lost. Uh, that, that one lost me a little bit, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> um, yeah, voodoo isn't cheap. Voodoo isn't, voodoo isn't free. Voodoo isn't cheap. No, it's voodoo not. isn't free. No, and, and there is a lot of people investing in this stuff right now. I would agree. And much of it is, is smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Oh, no, that's better. If I don't call it voodoo, if I don't make it a religious <laughs> question, it's okay. It's smoke and mirrors. <laughs> My version, my definition. So <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, yeah. as usual, great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And thanks everybody for listening to our our ongoing conversation about the world of HR technology. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter, and we will see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks, everyone. Bye.